you would, let's open up our Bibles to Romans chapter 13. I think the words are on the screen as well if you don't have a Bible. Romans is in the New Testament. It's after the Gospels and Acts. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, then Romans. Let me read the words of the Lord penned by the Apostle Paul. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you, may, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. Well, this Tuesday should be no surprise that it is Election Tuesday. The craziest election ever is going to come to an end. At least we hope so. While many things could describe the year of 2016, one thing is for sure. Christians have been forced to think about our place in U.S. politics. We've been forced to think about it maybe a little bit differently than we have in the past. Um, we haven't just been able to say, yep, that's what I'll do and that's the right decision. We, we've, we've had to wrestle and, and we've had other Christians that we know who are, who are making different arguments than we've ever heard before and, 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 and some doing things that we would thought, why, why would you do that? Why, that that's not going to work in, in politics. That's not going to exercise influence and it's caused us at the very least to think about why we're doing what we're doing. Why? We're going to vote for this or that person on Tuesday. We've been faced with this because a clear candidate representing our values doesn't seem to be put forth. How do we wrestle with it? And certainly, I know many of you have wrestled. I've had questions in the lobby. I've had text messages, emails, calls, um, talks after a community group, and, and, and people are, are trying to wrestle through this. And, and oftentimes it's difficult when we're in an age of instant information. And anybody can post their opinion about anything instantly, and you can get it buzzing in your pocket um, within 10 seconds. And so that's caused us some trouble. And so really the heart over the last few weeks has been for us to return to the Scriptures and try to gain some clarity, get some sure footing 
as we think about our place in politics, our relationship to government. And so we started a new series entitled Longing for the Better Country. That phrase comes from Hebrews chapter 11, as the people of God who are walking by faith as strangers and aliens. They weren't looking back to the country that they had once known. They were looking for the better country. And the aim of this series is to direct our minds to the scriptures, to have them renewed, seeking to understand our relationship to the government. And with this goal in mind, we looked last Sunday at Matthew chapter um, 22, verses 15 through 22, where Jesus was confronted with the controversial topic of paying taxes to Caesar. And we learned as Jesus responded, render to things that are Caesar's to Caesar, and to render the things that are God to God, that our submission to the government is not incompatible with our commitment to the kingdom of God. We can submit to the government. We can actually support a pagan government without violating our commitment to the kingdom. Nevertheless, our desire is not to implement Christendom. We're not trying to establish a theocracy. That's the better land we're looking forward to. But we're longing for the kingdom of God to come. Consequently, my aim last Sunday was to properly orient our minds and our hearts. To really get us to think biblically about what we hope, what our expectations are as we seek to influence, as we seek to engage in the political process making sure that really at the end of the day, our hope is in God and not in princes. That our hope is in the kingdom to come, and our prayer is that God's kingdom would come, His will would be done on earth as it is in heaven, not the other way around. And so this Sunday, as we we think with those things hopefully reoriented in our hearts and minds, we come to Romans 13, and really my, my aim here is to be more practical this Sunday more practical on how should we view the government and specifically why we should be subject to the governing authorities and how we can do that. Paul's letter to the Romans is written to Christians who are living in the time of the reign of Nero. Now when we think of Nero, if you've been around the church or studied um, um, church history and and you thought of the early church, you think of Nero and all his horrific persecutions of of using Christians as literally candle wicks for his dinner parties and, and such like that. Well, at this time, the horrific persecution has yet to begun. This is about AD 57, and Christians are at relative peace with the Roman Empire. As we saw in our study of Acts and and journeying through that book, it was really more the Jews and the synagogues who were persecuting Christians at this time. And ironically, it was the pagan Roman Empire that often came and rescued Christians from unjust accusations. Nevertheless, Paul is certainly aware that Christians are beginning to be looked at with suspicion. The Roman government's knowing and taking note of this group called the Way, this sect of Judaism. And they're wondering, what what is this group all about? Because no doubt they know that they have crucified its founder under terms of tyranny, of being a rival king to Caesar. And now you have this group of people 
who are going around declaring that there is another Lord other than Caesar. They say Jesus is Lord. And so the, this government, no doubt, is having their eyes on Christians. What are they all about? Are they going to try to lead a revolt? Therefore, as we apply Paul's words to our context, he's instructing believers to submit to a government that's not overtly against them. This is not some abusive dictatorship at this point. So, so you got our, our extreme examples of maybe North Korea. This isn't that type of context. But neither is it a context of, of, of a government that's necessarily for them. In other words, Paul gives us instruction for how to live under a non-Christian reign. And he's not thinking of some utopian government structure that would be some ideal and that we don't actually ever live in. No, this is probably very close to the kind of relationship that we have with our government. A government that's not necessarily for us, but a government neither that's necessarily against us. So as we apply these words, we're, we're going to, to, to think about how we can obey the scriptures that call us to be submissive to the government. You see this in verse 1. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. Paul says it again in verse 5. Therefore, one must be in subjection. And then in verses 6 through 7, he gets really to the heart, his application, if you want to put it. What does this look like for the believers in Rome? And he says this in verse 6. For because of this, you also pay taxes. Very simple. In this case, you need to pay taxes. This was the issue that was going on. This was actually a controversial topic for, for not just Christians, but all Roman citizens. Because there were two taxes, and, and Paul mentions the two. The, the taxes to whom taxes are owed, and the revenue to whom revenue is owed. The taxes were more like the tax that Jesus was referring to, kind of a, a flat tax, a, a direct tax that would be paid to the federal government, if you would think of it that way. But the other tax, an indirect tax, was more sales tax, property tax, different, different things like that. And people weren't happy about taxes, imagine that. In the Roman Empire, people didn't want to pay their taxes. And get this, all angry Nero, he actually was going to eliminate the indirect tax. No sales tax on things. But his constituents convinced him not to do that because he thought, hey, if we give them a little, they're going to want to take a mile. And so they're going to want no taxes. And we don't want that, so they kept both taxes. But that's kind of an idea. Hey, people weren't happy with what the government was doing. And Paul is writing to Christians saying, hey, don't get swept up in the controversy. You hear maybe some people saying, well, we're not going to pay that tax. We're not going to bow down in that way. And it's probably just the talk of the town similar to how it is for us today. And he reminds them, hey, that's not the game we play. In fact, he's going to say this isn't really a game at all if you look at it with a proper perspective. He goes on and he says, give respect to whom respect is owed. That, that word respect is actually the word fear. You can have that sense of terror, and Paul will use it that way in, earlier in the text, but it can also have the sense of reverence. Have you ever thought that you are to show reverence to your governing authorities? We're to revere them? 
in a kind of similar manner. You're to honor those in political office as our authorities. Paul says in no uncertain terms that this is universal. Verse 1, let every person. He's writing to a church, and, he, and no doubt this is consistent with what he, he would say to all Christians. Let every person obey, respect, revere, honor those in authority. Notice what he calls these, uh, these uh, governing authorities in verse 6. They are ministers of God. I thought that was only a title for pastors. No, he calls Barack Obama, Hillary Clinton, Mike Pence, Mike Moore, ministers of God. They're ministers. What? Seems like Paul's going off the deep end here, doesn't it? Really? The corruption we just see, just, just take politics in general, the nastiness. Yep, those are the ministers of God. For you, for your good. Earlier he calls them their, their God's servant, verse 4. For your good. They serve God. Well, in what sense could non-Christian governments be God's ministers? Well, that's what I want to help us understand this morning. I want us to look at this passage more closely to understand why we should submit, honor, revere, even give thanks for all our governing authorities. And then I want to give us practical ways in which we need to do this and hopefully helpful in some sense of thinking about Tuesday. So number one, why should we obey our governing authorities? Well, that is because the government bears the authority of God. The government bears the authority of God. And this is the basis for our submission to the governing authorities. Their authority, Paul says, is derived from God. You see this in verse 1. Be subject to the governing authorities. Why? He has a very logical argument here. For there is no authority except from God. And those that exist, meaning the governing authorities that exist, have been instituted by God. Paul is speaking to the fact that government is an institution of God. Even more broadly, this, this, this passage speaks to the reality that there is one authority. That authority is with God himself. And that God has so structured the world, government included, that his authority is given to individuals. And Paul is applying this, in this case, to government. We think of this as the most basic structures of society, the family. There are authority structures put in place, aren't there? Children, obey your parents, Grace and Hannah and Andrew and Lillian. Obey your parents. Children don't get to say, no, I don't like their law. No, children don't get to do that. They're not in the place that God has put them. One day, hopefully they will be, but not in this case. Society structures, employee Employer relationships. Slaves, be subject to your masters. This is all the same term used in the New Testament. Church structures. Leadership to the congregation, the same term. Yet all these are not authoritative in and of themselves. Rather, they have an authority, as we see here, given by God. And so, look at what Paul concludes in verse 2. 
Therefore, if, if the governing authorities have an authority that is divine, they've been put in the place that God says this person has authority. Therefore, verse 2, whoever resists the authorities, who do they actually resist? They resist what God has appointed. They resist what God has appointed. They're, they're opposing God's authority. And not only that, those who resist will incur judgment. We're going to look at that in a little bit later, what that looks like. But we need to submit to the government and all the different varying levels that it shows itself. Recognizing that this is something good, that government is good and is given to us by God, and that God in His sovereignty has given this to society, and He has placed these roles in hierarchy with an authority that really points ultimately to His authority. So when we struggle, and I know we all do, we struggle with authority. We don't like it. We are, we are an independent people in every sense of the word. Paul is helping reorient our minds as we think through these issues and say, yeah, yeah, but you need to understand the bigger picture, that there is only one authority, and it's manifesting itself in the authorities. So does this mean that those who are in authority can do no wrong? Is that what this means? Were Hitler, Stalin, Hussein, and other dictators doing the will of God? And our, if we were under the reign, just say, all right, I support you in everything you do. Is that what we're supposed to do? No. Certainly not. And we'll look at that next Sunday a little bit more. But those in the place of authority may actually abuse that authority. They might misuse the authority given to them. And they will ultimately have to answer to God for that. Therefore, the authority of our governing officials is not their own. It's not theirs. It's been given to them. So how should we respond then if we see abuse, corruption, namely the 2016 politics? How should we respond? We'll touch on this again next Sunday. But for now, generally, we leave this up to God. Now, there are avenues, voting's one way you can do it, avenues that the government has put into place so supposedly to keep the government in check, in balance. But you might look at it and say, yeah, but what if it doesn't go the way I think it should go? Or we collectively think it should go. What should we do? We leave it up to God. We give it to Him. This is really a more specific application of something broader that Paul has been trying to get in the Romans mind beginning in chapter 12 just flip over there Paul is instructing believers how to live worshipful lives how not to be conformed to this world but to be transformed by the renewing of our minds and he I want you to just see in verse 14 what he says, in general, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. So there's a sign of abuse. That's probably going to happen by someone who's in power. He's not specifically calling out governing authorities at this point. But the, the principle is here. Bless those who persecute you. Jump down to verse 17. 
Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. You hear that theme? Honor the pagan government. Even if you see evil, you don't resort to evil means by which to overcome it. Verse 18, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And then Paul goes on, let me give you an example. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. See how this argument's working? He's laid some general principles. You're going to be strangers and aliens. Things aren't going to work out for you, Christians, but you need to not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And so we see abuse, corruption. We do what is good. We, we seek to influence in the manners that are given to us. But we don't seek to go and take matters into our own hands and resort to sinful means to get our way, using sinful means to supposedly establish righteousness. We understand this principle in the workplace, don't we? If you have a manager who's abusing authority that was given to him or her by the owner, and you're under that authority, you're really not in position to bring punishment on the manager, are you? Rather, you have to leave that up to the owner. Or you may think that your superior at work is making a horrible business decision. Maybe you've been in those meetings and, and, and you've been given opportunity to say, hey, I, I don't think that's going to actually raise our bottom line. I don't think that's going to support our customer base. And, and your superior says, nope, I, I disagree, we're going this way. You're not in the place to say, all right, I'm not going to follow. You know what will happen? Judgment. You're fired. You know, that's what happens. You're not in the place of authority, whether you think they're doing a good job or not. Well, in the same way, God has appointed our governing officials. Mike Moore, our mayor. Mike Pence, our governor. Barack Obama, our president. And each of these, no matter how good or bad you think they are, or how good or bad of a job you think they're doing, they are in the place of authority given to them by God. And we need to recognize that. But not only then is the government bearing the authority of God, but it also upholds the justice of God. The government upholds justice. Paul continues tracing this logical argument for how we should, or why we should submit to the government. The government bears the authority of God, and to oppose that authority is to oppose God's authority. Notice what he says at the end of verse 2. Those who resist will incur judgment. You'll be judged if you seek to take matters into your own hands. Clearly, Paul is referring to an earthly judgment. He's not talking about the final judgment. And we know this because he expands upon it in verses 3 through 4. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Why would you have no fear or, or would you have no fear of the one who's in authority? Meaning, do you fear the government? 
I know some of you do. I've heard you. I'm fearful of what will happen. What does Paul say? Then do what is good. And you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God and avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. The government bears the authority of God and therefore to uh, reject that authority means that we will incur judgment. And this judgment, Paul says, is actually the judgment of God. This verse helps us understand at least two roles for government, doesn't it? Number one, government seeks the good of its people. Government seeks the welfare of its citizens. And number two, and it's related to the first one, government punishes those who threaten that. Government punishes the evil doer. Peter says something very similar in 1 Peter chapter 2. Just listen. He tells his uh, congregations, be subject for the Lord's sake. Notice, it's for the Lord's sake. You're doing this out of worship. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme, I want you to notice he notices hierarchy here, or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. And get this, he's not talking about Christian government here. He's talking about pagan governors. A pagan emperor who sets himself up declaring himself to be God, the divine son of Zeus. And he's reigning. And Peter says, for the Lord's sake. Why? Because he's knowing he's put under authority. He has authority of God. Even though he doesn't recognize it, we do. Be subject to him. Well, we can certainly point out abuses, can't we? Of corruption. Our government is still established by God. And our government, I would argue, by and large, accomplishes these two things. If you, you, you might have to zoom out. Yeah, you can look at maybe candidate A and B, say, yep, I see corruption and abuse, but look at the whole system. By and large, our government promotes what is good for its citizens, and by and large, our government punishes those who do, do evil. Now, yeah, we can look to abortion, we can look at other forms of, 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 of greed and, and power that are abuse, uh, abused. But by and large, and I think your own experience would tell you this, if I do good, I'm rewarded. If I do bad, I'm punished by my government. We enjoy good things, don't we? We, engo- we enjoy clean water. We enjoy transportation, economic growth. Protection, both domestic and foreign, education, health care. Now, I didn't say you have to agree with how they're doing all these things. But you do realize you are getting benefits. And usually where we complain is over the tax part. I'm paying for those. It's how I'm paying. Nothing's changed. You get good things. On the flip side, if you murder... If you steal, if you deal drugs, or you oppose the government's work of good, you will be punished. 
even see here grounds for capital punishment. Verse 4, for the government is God's servant, an avenger who carries out God's wrath. I guess right before it, I missed that. For he does not bear the sword in vain. That's the sword of, of death. Now to get this. God has so structured the government and his control is that, that his judgment comes through on people, through the government. So there is a sense in which you disobey, you'll be judged by God, whether that's the police officer putting you in jail. You'll have to answer God for how you responded to the governing authorities. This is why anarchy is not a good thing. I've heard or read jokes, um, and I know this is purely joking, but I figure I'd address it. Hey, let's just not have a president this year, or this, this term. Have you ever heard anybody say that kind of just flippantly? Yeah, that wouldn't be a good idea. That would not be good. Or let's just do without government. See how that works. It doesn't. It doesn't work. We would far rather have even all the things that we maybe struggle with, even the evils that go on, are far better than no government at all. You see this even in the book of Judges. The book of Judges, Israel had a season where there was no government. And this was the mantra that, was, that comes across after every horrific event that happens in the book of Judges. In those, day, there was no, in those days, there, were no, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. That's what would happen. Everyone does what is right in his own eyes. You know what government does? It restrains. It restrains. Now, you might say it's not doing as good of a job of restraining. I, I agree. But it still restrains. It still holds evil back. And when Israel had no king and everyone did what was right in his own eyes, I, I encourage you, go read the book of Judges in light of that. You know what you see? You see immorality. You see no accountability. Hasty vows. A man goes out to battle, makes a hasty vow, and says, whatever comes out of my front door, I will sacrifice to you. And his daughter runs out. You know what? The law had provisions for hasty vows to hold accountable so people don't do stupid stuff. You know what the guy did? He chops up his daughter and offers her up as a sacrifice because there was no king exercising order. Judges, it's, it's horrific. It's so awful. So even pagan or ungodly kings or, or, or presidents are better than no president at all. Furthermore, even from such authorities, we generally should not be in fear of them. We shouldn't be. Fear will only come if we aren't submissive to them. This is why Paul exhorts believers in 1 Timothy chapter 2 with this. He says, first of all, then I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, get this, thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions. Do you and I give thanks for all the governing authorities? Thank you, God, for Barack Obama. Thank you, God, whoever's elected Tuesday night. Give thanks. Why? 
that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. We want to show that we're a peaceful people. We, we don't want to bring trouble upon ourselves. We want to have the freedom to continue to preach and worship and evangelize, which we do have. We need to be thankful for our leaders. We want to live civil lives and show that we're a peaceful people. And that when people accuse us of being otherwise, it's contrary. The government would say, no, 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 we know those Christians. They support us. They honor us. We'll give them the benefit of the doubt. For the way we speak and treat and talk about our governing officials give us the benefit of the doubt. Never thought about that. That's what Paul wants for the churches. Here we are, we're coming to a conclusion. These two reasons, then, that we need to be submissive. Verse 5. Therefore, one must be in subject not only to avoid God's wrath, that's a good reason, but also for the sake of conscience. What's he saying here? He's reiterating, just summarizing the whole thing. Number one, there is a worship component. Our conscience before God. I recognize that I do this out of worship. I submit to authority that God has put in place out of a recognition that that authority is given to him or her by God. And I do it out of my worship. And then there's a, a practical component. I don't want to incur wrath, which ends up being judgment, right? Punishment. For these reasons, then, we should be upstanding citizens, Oak Park. We should be thought of by our governing officials here in Jeffersonville, in Greater Clark, that when they think of Oak Park, they say, those people are upstanding citizens. They contribute to the good of society. They're honorable people. They may disagree, and I, I don't know. I haven't had the opportunity to have conversations with our governing officials on a one-on-one -on -one basis. Maybe some of you all have. I don't know what their views are on, on, on the scriptures, on Christianity, on the Lordship of Jesus Christ, on ethics. I, I don't know. But regardless, let's say they disagree with us on all those things. They should say, we want them in our city, though. We want them contributing good, loving on this community, doing things that we possibly couldn't do. If that church is, is uprooted, if we punish them, we'll punish ourselves. We want them to think like that. So how do we do this? Well, number one, I mean, the application is very simple. Paul says, pay your taxes. Pay your taxes, both direct tax and indirect. Your, your federal taxes, and then your indirect taxes. When you go to the store, and when you have to pay sales tax, and, and all those things. Now, that's kind of all automated, but there are ways, I know, we can get around it. Don't. If you're tempted here in April, you know, just go to Lori Lewis. She'll make sure you pay your taxes, right? <laughs> We have an obligation to pay our taxes, to pay into the system, a system established by God. Number two, we're obligated to give respect and honor in a way we pray for them. And I think we can do a better job of that here on Sunday mornings, that we can be praying for our governing officials by name, both locally and, and, and state level and, and, and then at the federal level. We need to be praying, God, your will be done through them that you would do good to those who do good and you will punish the evildoer. 
the way we speak about them, both in person or in social media, our conduct, you know, just how we act. Are we living in submission to the authorities? Let's get a little bit more specific. We have an obligation to influence for righteousness, don't we? I don't know if you ever thought about this, but God has put us here as citizens, yes, of heaven, but we are citizens of the United States. We're a grace to this country because we are citizens, and by the fact that we, uh, um, we, we ask our governing officials to stand for righteousness, to, to do the things that they're supposed to do, they have to, in some sense, maybe less than in other years, take us into consideration. We can influence and we give government a moral compass. We give government a moral compass. One of the best ways to do that is by voting. We're going to have an opportunity to do that. You can exercise influence. That's a, a way that the government says, here's how one avenue that you can influence a decision. Go vote Tuesday. Go vote. And I would argue, vote for the person who you think will uphold the authority given to that position. We have, on the front end, opportunity to vote for the person who we think won't abuse that authority. And I say, I, yeah, I know it's tough. Make your best decision with a heart toward, I'm trusting in you, Lord. I'm trusting that you're over this. And you make your decision. We do it through civil process and, and of disagreement. I've heard from some of you who write letters to your senators and congressmen, our, our senators and congressmen. We do that, but how do you do it? Do you accuse them of a bunch of things, or do you gracefully ask them to consider whatever it is you're asking them to consider? We can show civil expressions of disagreement as the government allows. It's given opportunity. I think of John the Baptist. He was given opportunity before Herod, and he spoke to Herod about his unrighteous, adulterous relationship. He lost him his head. He went into prison. But he, he stood as opportunity and he spoke the truth. Most of our governing officials aren't going to give us the opportunity to stand before them, but maybe some of us will. You might have opportunity to exert that influence. I think of Paul as we were journeying through that long trial scene. But did he not exemplify honoring of a government who, yeah, really didn't have his interest in mind, but he was caught within a political uh, uh, pinch. But he was honoring those soldiers and those men who were put over him, and he's winning them over. He's winning them over. So they gave him the benefit of the doubt. They even wrote a recommendation to the governor, the soldier did, to say, hey, Paul's innocent. We have an obligation to serve our country, to serve it. That might be by working for the government, working for it. Think of Daniel. If you read the book of Daniel, his, 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 his entry uh, path to working for the government was not a pleasant one. He was ripped out of his homeland. He was brought in. They, they strategically 
um, got the, the youngest and the brightest and the best looking people because they, you know, Nebuchadnezzar only wanted the best around his court. Likely that all these boys were castrated so that they would be eunuchs and be loyal to the, to the governor, to the king. But Daniel, in Daniel chapter 4, verse 7, let me just read that to you. Listen what he says to this horrific dictator. Daniel chapter 4, verse 27. Therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Let my counsel be acceptable to you. He does speak of sins and righteousness. He says, break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities, by showing mercy to the oppressed, that there may be perhaps a lengthening of your prosperity. Oh. Yeah, you need to repent so that your reign may continue. Might serve in the military. Many of you have. We're thankful for you. I don't think my generation appreciates what has been done for us. We haven't risked anything. And we're very flippant, my generation, to speak against the government. And we haven't really had to sacrifice much at all for that privilege. Military is an honorable way to serve this country. Jesus comes across a Roman centurion, and he says that this man has more faith than anyone in Israel. And he doesn't say, now take off your armor and come follow me. He doesn't. He commends him. Paul and Peter engage with different Roman soldiers, jailers, different people throughout the book of Acts. They never say, now stop working for the government. No, serve the Lord where you're at. This might blow your mind. No matter who is elected on Tuesday, just imagine it's, it's the worst case scenario for you. You could work as the chief executive staff for that individual and live to the glory of God. You could do that. You could support them, want their, their presidency to be a, a two-term presidency and hope it will be and do it to the glory of God. If you can do it at the very top, you can do it all the way in, from the bottom or anywhere in between. And then finally, maybe it's not serving particularly in the government, but just our loyalty to our nation. There, there's a goodness to that. We seek its welfare. We pledge allegiance to the flag. Not as over and against the kingdom of God, but we still pledge allegiance to the flag. And we love this land. So does this mean that there are no limits then to loyalty, to service to our country? No. There are limits. And this is where we're going to stop and where we'll begin next Sunday. Or we're going to go to Revelation 13 and, and we're going to see the dark side of government and what it means, listen, not to take the mark of the beast. So yeah, I'm going there. So uh, uh, let's go. Let's come back next Sunday and see, so what does it look like when we can't say yes? How do we do that? All right, let's pray and then we'll sing a closing song. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I, 
I pray that your word has been helpful to us. Lord, you have helped me even correct thinking even this week and how I think of the institution that you have put in place. And Lord, I pray that this has been helpful to us as a people. And Lord, we do pray for our governing officials. And Lord, we pray that you will give us a good reputation in their sight, that we would honor them, we would revere them, we would be thankful for them, we would pray for them, we would intercede for them. And Lord, if possible, Lord, those who do not know you, Lord, we pray that we would have influence to be instruments of grace in their life, that they might come to know you. Lord, they might fear you, and they might recognize, wow, I've been given the authority that God has given me. Lord, we love you. We're thankful that you have died for us when we fail in this. You have forgiven us, and we're thankful. And Lord, may we go out of this place worshiping you, even as we express it through the voting booth on Tuesday. We pray these things in Jesus' name.